cover me. You cover me. I appreciate it. A mystery. It's amazing how. Your patience with me, God will never leave. You don't give up on me. Don't ever leave. Help me. Help me to see. Like you. Like you. No matter what I go through. Hey. Everything's working for my good for a way. Let me tell you what he does. He To the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church, we celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul, and then the preaching of the Word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today.
Welcome to Greater Little Zion Baptist Church, and we are so excited to worship with you today. This week and the previous weeks, we have dove into different hashtags, and this week, the hashtag is Our Future is Black. Here are a few organizations that we would love to highlight for you. Let's get into it. Black Women's Blueprint works to place black women in girls' lives as well as their particular struggles squarely within the context of the larger racial justice concerns of black communities. Black Women's Blueprint envisions a world where women and girls of African descent are fully empowered. Next, My Brother's Keeper Alliance. President Obama launched the My Brother's Keeper initiative to address persistent opportunity gaps faced by boys and young men of color and ensure that all young people can reach their full potential. Next up, Black Girls Code. Black Girls Code is devoted to showing the world that black girls can code and do so much more. By reaching out to the community through workshops and after-school programs, Black Girls Code introduces computer coding lessons to young girls from underrepresented communities. Black Girls Code has set out to prove to the world that girls of every color have the skill to become the programmers of tomorrow. The National Black Environmental Justice Network demands social solutions that uses a focus on equity to develop policies that address health, environmental, and economic justice challenges facing Black Americans. They strive for a more equitable and justice system that closes the racial divide and eradicate systematic racism. National Action Network is one of the leading civil rights organizations in the nation with chapters throughout the entire United States. Founded in 1991 by Reverend Al Sharpton, NAN works within the spirit and tradition of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to promote a modern civil rights agenda that includes the fight for one standard of justice and more. Our future is black. After service, make sure to take a look at all of these different organizations and never forget, Black History Month is every month. Have a blessed and prosperous day in the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only son and the son he gave his life for me when he died on calvary there's no greater love nowhere find it than a man who'd lay down his life for a friend there's no greater love no greater love than a man who'd lay down his life for a friend
to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. your Bibles and turn with me once again to the Acts of the Apostles chapter 9 and we're going to read verses 3 through 9 the Acts of the Apostles chapter 9 verses 3 through 9 is going to be our verses of concentration this morning remembering we are beginning this new series under the general title of reset for a greater purpose and our sermon title today is the same as it was on last Sunday, and that is Reset According to Saul, but this is part two. Reset According to, to Saul, part two. Again, our text is Acts chapter nine. We're gonna begin reading at verse three and concluding at verse nine. 
Here is what it says. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Again, reset according to Saul, part two. Last week, I attempted to lay the foundation on how God began to reset the life of Saul as he traveled on the Damascus Road. I believe this reset process was initiated through what may be considered some very unusual means according to Luke's recording of Saul's introduction to the reading audience. You may recall I said that Saul experienced reset substantiated by a number of scriptures in which we had engaged on last week, but he experienced reset, A, because of Stephen's prayer. Remember that prayer in Acts chapter 7, verse 59 and 60, where the crust of his prayer was that, Lord, do not hold the sin against them that they have committed, and Saul was in that context of them. God reset Saul's life also because of the persecution he brought on the saints. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says that Saul was breathing, ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to prison. It says also in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, that he was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, sought official approval to go to Damascus, and likewise arrest and bring them back, and yet God reset him on that Damascus road. We also said that God reset Saul because of his prolific purpose. And you really don't get to hear what that purpose is until you turn to Acts chapter 26 and begin reading at verse 16 where this passage gives us the prolific purpose that God has for Saul's life as he meets him on that Damascus road. I quote, Saul, after giving his testimony before Agrippa, makes this point. Jesus says to him, Arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That was Saul's prolific purpose according to God. He was going to use him as a voice primarily to the Gentiles who were unaware of hearing the gospel. I'm convinced that whenever our assignments in life involve the engaging and the influencing of others, it is highly possible that we stand on the shoulders of others who have traveled that road before us. If you look at the background of public figures who are and who were influential, there is someone who either mentored them or provided valuable direction and contribution to their journey. For example, we would not have a Martin Luther King Jr. were it not for a Martin Luther King Sr. And I don't mean that merely biological, I mean particularly in terms of his ministerial aspirations because looking at his father, that was the birth to his desire to be a preacher as well. There is no Malcolm X without Elijah Muhammad. Contrary to what you might think about the teaching of Islam, Elijah Muhammad in teaching Islam to Malcolm X or Malcolm Little at the time of his imprisonment transformed his life. And as a result, he stood on the shoulders of the teachings of Elijah Muhammad. You would not have a third good marshal were it not for Charles Hamilton Houston Charles Houston is the one who introduces Thurgood Marshall to the aspirations of various critical legal cases that involve African Americans. And from that, Thurgood Marshall decided that this would be the task of my life. He directs him likewise to the NAACP, which in return broadens his scope in dealing with various legal aspirations across time. You cannot move without having someone else's shoulders to stand on. What about Howard University Law School? It would not be the institution it is today had it not been for the contribution of Charles Hamilton Houston. And when we come to the book of Acts, when we read chapters 7 through 9, we are persuaded that we would not have a Saul of Tarsus without a deacon named Stephen. The speech of Stephen causes Saul to dig his heels deep into the ground of hatred, to dig his, heel, his heels deep into the hound, to the ground of, date of hatred, particularly for those who were Christians and who were followers along the way. We witness this in Acts chapter 7, as I had said earlier, in Stephen's prayer and in Saul's persecution and in his prolific purpose. We now come to the part in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, where we left Paul in a posture that was contrary to his accustomed position of pursuing. Remember, we are accustomed to seeing him 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, in, chapter, in verse 3, he is pursuing Christians in Damascus. But something happens. Instead, Saul is now being confronted by the Lord of life who confronts him by the eternal breaking in into his existential space with the most profound question of Saul's life. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's really saying to Saul, why are you injuring me? Why are you harming me? Because when you hurt the least of these, you are likewise hurting me. Why, Saul, are you pursuing to provide death instead of deliverance? Remember, they are me and I am they. They are the extension of my incarnation. It's Jesus appearing to Saul in this last major Christophany in the book of Acts with an emphasis on, says the text, the light that flashed around him, around Saul. His experiencing of a glorious epiphany, a scene of supernatural features like the moment that Jesus had at the Mount of Transfiguration that captured the attention of Peter, James, and John. Isn't it something how God often intervenes with experiences, events, situations that capture your attention to inform you and I that the road perhaps that we are currently on is not going in the right direction. It's not the road that he needs us to be upon. Can you not recall how God has intervened in your life to get your attention? Can you recall how God has shut some doors, has put up some roadblocks, have caused some miscues on your journey to make you aware that this is not the right direction that I want you to go? That's what he does in the life of Saul. In fact, he's trying to inform us that you need to stop and reset because what you are doing, where you are going, the persons you are connected to will not bring you the results that you are anticipating. Saul was looking to serve up murderers or murderers back to the officials in Jerusalem and yet God is looking to use Saul to bring forth miracles because God has a prolific purpose for the life of Saul. What I find interesting about this story is that Luke does not tell Saul's reset story in the details as Saul does when he's giving his own testimony. But I think that's because no one can tell your story like you tell it. They don't know the details as intimately as you do. That's the reason why during this Black History Month, we should be eager 
we should be anticipating to learn the history of who we are because for far too long we permitted others to tell our story. And one reason that has happened is because we are not aware of what that story entails historically. We have merely been stuck in one dimension and that dimension is what someone else has told us. And I'm here to tell you today that one of the things you ought to do repeatedly is to learn the history of your people in this country. But broadening that, you should learn the history of your Afrocentricism as it has its roots in the continent of Africa. Know who you are so that when the story is told, it can be told correctly by you. For example, when we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9, Luke does not mention the particulars about this bright light that Saul does talk about when he gives his testimony before the Roman court in Acts chapter 22 and verse 6. He tells the court, I was approaching Damascus about noonday. Those are critical nuances that for whatever reason Luke doesn't record in the testimony or the experience conversion of Saul but Saul later Paul tells that about noonday that's critical a very bright light suddenly flashed around me from heaven and in that moment alone let me suggest that God was right then moving to reset Saul's life, your life, and my life. Because what he was doing, here's my points. Number one, what he was doing was removing Saul's self-stability. Let me say it again. What God was doing to begin the reset of Saul's life by that light shining around him was number one, he removed Saul's ability of self-sustainability. His power, his motive, his focus solely came from the authority granted by the powers that be. But now as God is working in him, his own personal strength has been reduced. His desires has been stopped. The light reduced him from self-standing to now a humbled reset. You might not quite recall the particulars, but there's been a revelatory moment in which God breaks in that gathered your attention. You couldn't tell how or what it was that was intervening and that was drawing on the substance of you, but it twarfed you, it reduced you from having self-sustainability because God is saying you and I can't be in control at the same time. And so what he does is causes that self sustainability we have in ourselves to be crippled to a point where we have to become dependent on somebody else. 
And that's what this light does to Saul. Listen to his testimony. Listen to Saul's testimony in Acts chapter 22 as he gives his defense before the Roman courts. Here's what he says. Acts chapter 22. He gives his defense. Verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. And I was... And I persecuted the way of the way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. And also the high priests and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also delivered letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And it came about that as I was approaching the way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven around me. And I fell to the ground and it said to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, who you are crucifying, who you are persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Why? It was not them to which God was seeking to gather their attention. It was Saul that God wanted to get his attention. And he took away his ability to be self-sustainable. That shining light occurred at noonday because it occurred at the height to combat the natural light. Watch this. In the natural light, Saul did his work. But in this divine light, Saul will do the work of God. In the natural light, Saul depended on himself. But in the divine light, the light that God provided, Saul would rebel depend on God because God has removed his ability for self-sustainment. That might be where you are right now. God's removing your ability to be as productive as you believe you should be on your own, but just simply trying to remind you, you're doing my work, kingdom work, you can't do it, unless I'm a part of that business. And so God, what does he do? He removes Saul's self-sustainability. But then notice in the text, there's a second thing that God does, and that is he restricts Saul's movement. He restricts Saul's movement by merely dealing with Saul's consciousness. Only in the King James Version, do you have this additional phrase at the end of verse 5? 
It's a powerful phrase, and yet modern translations do not include it, and that's simply because the phrase itself is not in the original Greek. It's that phrase that says, when Jesus says to him, uh, who art thou? No, when Saul says, who art thou? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then there's that phrase. Is it hard or it is hard for you to kick against the prick? That's a critical phrase that unfortunately is not in many modern translations. But here's its meaning. Editors included the phrase as a literary means to possibly explain the mental state of Saul during this moment. Translation, it's hard for you to resist the pricking of your own conscience, Saul. The phrase to kick against the prick came from men who drove oxen. Oxen are known to be very slow and yet very tough creatures. An ox can be so hardened, so tough, and so callous that you'll quickly learn whipping them will not scare them. In fact, they are so tough that a stick, when you start whipping them, will only eventually break and have no effect on the ox at all. Well, you might ask, then how do you get this creature moving if it's that stubborn? Well, I'm told that if you look at the hind feet of an ox, at the joint where the hoof is fastened onto the leg, there's a soft spot. It looks like an ankle, but it's what they call a fetlock, a fetlock. It's a very tender spot, and the driver of the oxen takes a long stick <clears throat> and digs into that spot. He digs into that soft spot just above the hoof. That was the prick. Pushing and digging into a space where it would get the attention of that ox. Now some ox would kick back when they were pricked, but of course in doing that, it only made it worse because when you kick back, you kick back into the prick into the stick. And of course, the significance of what the writer is trying to convey is it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against these pricks because the Lord was driving Saul by pricking him. And that is why some of us talk about pricks of the conscience because he's dealing with what Saul has seen in the previous occasion of watching particularly in the life of Stephen watching him die with such dignity and glory and yet Saul knows that the death, the death of Stephen was an unjust moment and so much so that when Saul had pricked of conscience, when he saw Stephen die for his faith, when he saw Christians hauled off to prison, so much so 
that Saul began to cry out after hearing Jesus, Lord, what would you have me to do? Once again, only in the King James Version, verse 6, chapter 9. What would you have me to do? Let me stand in Stephen's shoes. Why is that important? Well, because remember last week, that's the desperate cry that the hymnologist talked about. That's the desperate cry that the hymn knowledge says when you talk about reaching out a hand that reaches out to him to lift him from the sinking waters, from the waters he lifted me. But the waters of defeat, question, are you there? Is that where you are at the waters of defeat? Is God working now on your conscience through restricting? your movement you can't get to where you typically do as quick as you do you can't do what you used to I know old folk used to say that when God wants to get your attention he restricts your movement by causing illnesses to shut you down that may not be totally true but you have to consider there might be some truth in that it is something how whenever we're restricted, confined to a bed, we can hear God with such clarity. And that's what God did to Saul, restricted it movement. When that light came, it knocked him to the ground. He was there, rendered inoperative, says the word. And verse 8 tells us clearly that Saul eventually got up from the ground but not until God had given direction because God restricted Saul Lord what would you have me to do let me stand in Stephen's shoes Saul is no doubt pricked in his conscience about what has and is happening at that moment again the King James Version provided a different rendering of verse 6 of chapter 9 Hearing Jesus say, I am, I am who you are persecuting, the Bible says Saul, trembling and astonished, stood up and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? That phrase, trembling and astonished, is once again missing from the modern translations, but it depicts the emotional condition of Saul after his life has been restricted. From the waters, he lifted me. Now safe am I. The restricted mobilization caused him to see the divine love that never before he could witness. But it took God putting him into this restricted space. Can you not identify? There are some things about God's grace you never saw until you were restricted. There are some things about God's mercy you never acknowledged until you were restricted. There are some things about God's favor you never recognized until you were restricted. There were some things about God opening doors you never saw until you had to stop. And something stopped you that enabled you to see this had to be a divine Intervention. That's what God was doing in Saul. That's what God 
may be doing in you as he's trying to reset your journey for a greater purpose. It's incredible to think that after that moment in the text, verse 6, 7, and 8, Saul's entire frame of mind is completely reversed, totally changed, i.e. reset. He has surrendered and now ready to move forward in that prolific purpose that God has done, that God has applied to him, only because God, in working in his life, has removed his self-sustainability has restricted his movement and watch this now has him prepared to receive divine direction God's not finished with Saul he's still working on him and when we pick up the text in verse 6 and particularly in clause B God begins in clause A to say Saul stand up rise the word rise there is critical because it simply means that. Lift yourself up. It's now time to stand on your feet because now you have a different mindset when you stand than when you were previously standing. He tells him to get up. Get up and be prepared to go into the city and there you'll be told what you must do. Watch God work this thing out. Divine direction. That word arise is critical to the text because it's not the first time that God used it in resetting persons' lives in the scripture. Go back to Genesis chapter 21, chapter 22, and around verse 18, Hagar is in the wilderness with her son Ishmael, feeling destitute, empty, void, homeless, and yet God visits her and tells her, arise, go back to town. I'm with you, and the child that you have will be blessed, mighty among the nations. Jacob is told the same thing in Genesis 31, 13. God tells him, arise, get up, because in rising, we shall walk together to the next destination. Remember 1 Kings 17, 9, Elijah is told while the famine has hit the region, Elijah is told, arise, go to Zarephath, and there... I will have a woman who will feed you in this process. The divine direction highly suggests that God will lead where leading needs to be and his provision will always be there. God takes away Saul's self-sustainability God restricts Saul's mobility. God makes Saul now prepared to receive divine direction. And finally, God retracts 
Saul's sight in order that he must depend and trust others to help him get to where he need to go. Look at the text. It says, verse 7, And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. His eyes are open, but he could see nothing. In other words, God made sure that Saul understood how helpless he really was and powerless he really was. The others saw the light, but heard no voice. Isn't that what the text says? They traveled with him, stood speeches, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. I apologize. I, I changed that. Seeing nothing and yet hearing the voice. And Saul stands up, eyes open, blind, but they have to lead him by the hand to Damascus. Blindness signifies that I need help to take the next step in order to get to the destination of Damascus. God has used this act of blindness before to make his point that you will no longer be able to see what you want to see instead I want you to simply do what is actually in front of you rise go into the city and it'll be told you what you have to do God does that sometimes in getting us to the space of reset by shedding off all possibility of being able to visualize no further than what we can see. In fact, in Saul's case, where we can't see at all. And what happens is that God has restricted, taken away, made blind your sight, so there has to be total dependency working through others. The men have to take him by the hand and take him to Damascus. And maybe God has you in a space today where you have to depend on others you never, ever wanted to do so. And yet, you can't move forward without the use of their help in guiding you. Here's the interesting thing about reset as well. It makes you vulnerable sometimes that you have to trust people that you typically would not trust. But God is doing that so that we can learn how to not only trust but to discern who we need to trust in the process. Let God use, use whomever to lead you. Those men have the assignment of leading Saul to Damascus while protecting him in the process. And Saul now has time to think about how he opposed the preaching of the gospel and how blind now he actually has been. Reset is based upon those single words of Jesus, arise, get up, and enter the city. And yet others have to assist you in the journey.
Father, thank you for the word of Acts chapter 9. Once again, Saul's testimony as to how reset occurs in his life. God, you retracted his sight in order that he has to trust others to help him in the process. Some of us are so self-sustaining that we don't want to ask for help or depend on others, but Lord, you made us creatures of communal spirit. And so God, somebody today in whom you've retracted their vision where they cannot see any further than need be because it requires others to help, help them to reach out to you by faith and trust in the hands that you place in their life. Help them to see your divine direction. Help them to trust you, God, so that you will remove the restriction on their movement and they would stop trying to be self-sustaining and get a hold of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do these things for us, God, and we'll forever give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. That's our prayer that your journey would be touched by the spirit of reset. May not be exactly in the manner in which Saul experienced it, but it will be God doing a tremendous transformation that your life will never be the same. If you are being blessed by this word, we certainly would be encouraged if you would let us know. Drop us a line. You can have many ways of contacting us. Let us know in which we can hear your voice, that the word of God is blessing you. You can call us by telephone or you can email us or you can perhaps contact us by Instagram. There are a number of ways at the end of the service that come up on the screen that you can contact us. But let us know how God's working in the midst of your life. Our gratitude is grateful to each of you who continue to support the ministry. Thank you for your contribution, and we only ask that you continue to do so, that the kingdom of God can continue to come forth through this branch of Zion for the glory of God. Listen, before we leave you, we want to certainly announce that this coming Saturday, February the 12th, or next Saturday, I think it is February the 12th, um, we're, we're going to be able to provide food distribution, drive-through. want to give you a heads up on that. We want to be able to stretch out and help those who certainly stand in need. So if you're in need of some additional resources in terms of food on February the 20th from 10 to 12, come to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. All you have to do is stay in your car and drive around, pop the trunk. We'll make sure food gets into your trunk and send you on your way. You will be blessed in a very mighty mighty way. Listen, we love you. God loves you, and so do I. Be blessed as I pray that the word of God continues to bless you. Look forward to seeing you again. Have a blessed, wonderful day in Jesus' name. Amen.